How can you do all that needs done in life and still pursue your desire to learn French or the guitar or grow a plant or make art? You can't put a fiddle under your pillow and wake up playing it, though how cool would that be? But one thing we can do, no matter how chaotic and overwhelming life can be, is know that every tiny small motion in the direction of those endeavors really do matter. And not only that, they add up over time with great momentum. Join me, Annie Fane Barillon, as I interview painters and gardeners, designers and musicians, photographers and cooks, creative livers of any kind, who have somehow, in the middle of it all, continued on their creative paths, no matter what. This is Fane House Radio, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm Misty Kelishek. I spent most of my adult life being creative and hairdressing. I went through cosmetology school when I was under 18 and graduated high school with my hours that I needed to take my exam. So I've been doing hair for a lot of years. After I graduated high school, I did go to college and when I got there, I was like, huh, I'll be an art major. And I was really bad at it. <laughs> but the reason I, I wanted that is because I felt like those were my people and I loved being in the studios, but I wasn't, I didn't have a gift for it. I don't think at that time that lasted for a year. And then I was like, I'm just going to do hair. So I just put that behind me and focused on doing hair. It never occurred to me that hair was an art. It was, you know, even though I was studying color and texture and form, it, I never saw a parallel there. And so I didn't start doing art till probably 9-11. 9-11 was kind of a turning point for a lot of people. Art is one of the things that came out of that for me. And so I was, I was working in Asheville on Biltmore Avenue. And I was between two galleries, um, the Folk Art Gallery and Blue Spiral. And every time I had a cancellation, I would go spend time in those galleries. And that was that was what really started it for me. That's really interesting that, you know, you had that first year of an attempt and you were drawn to those people and to yeah. studio life and everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were saying, well, did I have the talent or not? When do you feel like you just needed a teacher or more time or? I think, I think I needed more time. I think my brain was just not ready because I, you know, I would, I would have great instructors. I would sit down and try to draw and you, I knew they were getting frustrated with me, but I really couldn't do it. That's so interesting because I mean, I think it's great for everyone to hear and think about because I think we think, oh, well, we don't have talent. And sometimes it's like, we just, it just wasn't that instrument. It was a different instrument mm -hmm. or it wasn't that medium as a different yeah. medium and that yeah. you could be 80 and, and start painting and that kind yeah. of Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you love art. This is something that we bond over so much among many other things. Both of us also grew up in rural Appalachia mixed with uh, various other influences that, you know, it's not only the stereotype of that. Mm -hmm. But what did you feel like you clearly had creative thoughts and feelings, even though at first it manifested in hair? What mm -hmm. did you feel like in, in that time in the 70s and 80s and growing up where you were and in your family? Did you feel like a black sheep? Did you feel like you were from another planet and no one understood? 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think our I think our first family is might be the last people that understand us, really. So my older sister Cammy was the artist, and our mom got drawing lessons for her, and she was always sketching, you know, ponies and or ponies and. <laughs> black beauty um so and and we would take her to the art lessons there was a place in town where you could go for that and i never got to go inside always waited in the car and so it was just a given that she was the artist in the family we were crafters and i think you know it's very appalachian to be a crafter out of necessity it's yeah. like oh there's something i love how can we make it? And so that was where it started for me. And we made Cabbage Patch dolls. That was a big thing in the 80s. And so we learned how to make Cabbage Patch dolls, how to sew the yarn in, how to paint their eyes, all that, their little dimples. We were very hands-on, ribbon barrettes, sewing our own tank tops. That was where it started. So I, did, I didn't consider that art. It was just maker, maker stuff, crafty stuff. And you knew you liked it and you knew it made you feel good, whatever right. the medium was. Right. And it taught me, looking back, the thing that it really taught me is to look deeper at something and get curious about how it's made. That's been a big one. It's kept me, um, it's kept me more as a maker and less as a consumer. So you didn't have anyone saying questioning or challenging your general way of being no um and then you know my my family of origin like I said we're all kind of a mystery to each other but my current family I think I think we're all artists that's just very much a part of who we are so you're talking about visiting the galleries in Asheville and that kind of thing, super rubbing off on you. Mm-hmm. Did you have a, you know, a turning point moment or mm-hmm. a teacher or person or artist that you were just looking up to, to the extent that it made you realize maybe I could try this again. Maybe mm-hmm. I could do this. I know we both really loved Daniel Nevin's work. Yes. Spiral. And I think we probably might've overlapped somewhere in there. In Absolutely. And we didn't know each other. Yeah, uh, but it's so fun to share that we were kind of in love with so many of the same things. We just didn't know yeah. each other yet. Yeah. When did you pick up the paintbrush or was there a person or moment? So I mentioned 9-11. 9-11 seemed like it was a catalyst for a lot of change. Um, one of my coworkers, it kind of propelled her into opening her own salon, which was the salon on Biltmore Avenue. Um, and I ended up going with her. And I had been in a long-term relationship. We both knew it was kind of falling apart. We did what a lot of people do. We decided to get married. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so we did. I quickly realized that in order to stay in that marriage, I would kind of have to check out. And really the only time I felt anything was when I would step into those galleries. And so one of my favorite things was to hear the receptionist say, so-and-so just canceled. And I would, I would be like, block me out. I've got to go. And yep. And I would come back when it was time for my next client. I would spend all that time in the galleries. Blue Spiral was amazing. Daniel was amazing. I always had to go see his stuff. Um, Suzanne Strick. Do you remember her? Yeah. But it was intimidating. But American Folk on the other side was a jumping off point. 
that was, that was something I could do. And so I just started painting. I went to Michael's, I bought a couple paints, a couple paint brushes and a canvas. And that moment that the brush touched the canvas and there was a little bit of bounce and that creamy paint, it was just, I couldn't stop, just couldn't stop. Had to do it more and more and more. That was really the jumping off point. After that, you know, I would, I would try to find classes at community college or one of my most important instructors was Fleeta Monahan. She has a gallery and studio down in the River Arts District. She, I took a lot of classes from her, but my favorite class was color. She would bring in, you know, 20 paint chips from Lowe's and all we did was sit in the studio and make those exact colors. And when they matched, when you could no longer see our color on the chip, we were done. And I've never forgotten that. And it really developed my eye for color and made me want to look deeper at pigments. You know, what goes into making this pigment versus that? That I think was one of the most important classes I've ever taken. I took a class with a similar assignment and it made me realize there are a lot of colors you don't know inside the colors you love. Yes. And there is yes. like the opposite and it's not necessarily intuitive and you might have uh -huh. a little green to make it more muted, but you don't see the green. It's just yeah. like opposite to red in the color wheel. Yeah. Yeah. It's mind blowing. I, it is. It is. My favorite pigment that I learned to identify and avoid is that phthalo cyan, phthalo blue, phthalo green. That one can make those really gorgeous like 1950s blue green colors but um, it's the last thing you want to use if you're painting a tree it looks horrible identifying that pigment i can see it from a mile away now and it drives me crazy if i see it in what i consider the wrong place but yeah having her show me that was really big right now what do you feel about painting from the color straight out of the tube versus mixing it some for your paintings I am, I'm working on that. It's a work in progress. I recently learned that umbers get really dull, especially when you're using oil paints. You can lose your detail if you use umbers. So I'm working on mixing my browns now. I don't love it. I do want to grab that tube and go right back to it. But yeah, I'm really, really working on that because I'm learning that when you mix your own, they have better longevity. Because I always feel, I don't usually think about the longevity, but you can tell, you can feel there's like more personality and a energy mm -hmm. and depth to it mm -hmm. when you mix it yourself. Um, Absolutely. So and watercolor, especially, you know how when you really want to paint and you want to skip all those steps, like, oh, I don't want to draw or, oh, I don't want to have to do X, Y, Z. I just want to get that paint down. You know, that's one of those steps that now I have to do, but I'm going to do it. You're determined now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That makes me think about my dear mother when she's teaching knitting, she's taught knitting to like thousands of people by now in her life and how important it is to knit the sample so that you know what your gauge is and that you didn't knit something that's two times too big as a sweater or whatever. The tendency is people don't want to do that part sometimes. Oh. You know, like, can we just give that? Can we just or, do the thing? Yeah, I just want to do the thing. Yeah, and it's understandable. And then, but then when we go in for the long haul, it totally pays off in a way. Yeah. 
we both are mothers of small boys and you have a job job, you're mixing in various responsibilities with aging family and the list goes on and on Mm -hmm. with wanting to exercise and take care of yourself. What is your thought when you hear the phrase like making in the middle of the chaos or making in the middle of things? How do you think about it in your mind so that you're always folding in the creative acts that you like, even though you have a really crazy schedule? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing I think of is those painters on Instagram that's like, make a painting a day and it's okay if they're tiny. And then they, they put up these perfect little tiny still lives every day. And I just feel like crap when I see that. I need a certain amount of time and space to do that. I can't just in five minutes while, you know, the pasta's boiling, crank that out. So what I've had to learn to do is similar, you're going to relate to this. So I remember when I was really small and there was a lot of controversy over prayer in schools because we used to say a prayer and we used to say the Pledge of Allegiance and um, and then prayers became obsolete. And my grandmother said, nobody can change what you have in your mind or in your heart. So if you want to pray, you do that. You don't have to do it out loud. And that is my approach to creating. I I have creative thoughts all day long and that might not ever make it onto paper or canvas, but nobody can take that away. Yep. Even the busy schedule can't take that away. Right. Right. And so, you know, it's probably what my teachers called daydreaming when I was in school, but every day I can't not make, I can't not envision or compose something artistic. Do you let the thoughts flow through or do you have a little book you write your ideas in? I'm usually way too scattered to keep a book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I could show you, um, I have a a journal here on my desk. When we went into quarantine, I was like, I'm finally going to do that paying a day. And so there's some really good stuff in there for about four pages. And then it's just like, I don't, I don't put the pressure on myself to do that anymore because it seems like the pressure can replace the creativity for me. And so however it comes is how it comes. Do you feel like, you know, it's like we have to be alive for a while, which also I guess the word for that's maturing. (laughs) You know, I feel like we start out giving ourselves such a hard time all the time. It becomes a default. Mm -hmm. Then we mature, we get older, you know, we're folding in kids into our lives. And what was the process like for you, even though I know it's hard to really put words to this kind of thing, where you stop judging yourself as much, you know, because we could compare to what's a perfect parent, what I should be doing or not. There's always Mm -hmm. mother guilt, hardly, Mm -hmm. no matter what we do, Uh, ways we're supposed to take care of our bodies, way we're supposed to take care of our creative lives. And I feel that it's a common theme that as people age, they realize, oh, I shouldn't be giving myself such a hard time. Do you feel right in the middle of that process? Do you feel like certain things trigger you or, or you're done with it? Some of that judgment has just fallen away on its own. Um, I don't take any responsibility for that. I think it's just been a maturational loss. I think it just fell away. Um, There's plenty that I still beat myself up over. There's plenty of my, I should be X, Y, Z 
I could be X, Y, Z. I think that's just part of who I am. And, you know, it's good and bad. It gives me drive. Um, it also drives me crazy. Yeah, it's like both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are your favorite paint colors right now? Sometimes you'll send me really great texts or Instagram, you know, you're like, there's this color and it's Windsor Newton and it's sap green. And I mm -hmm. love that. I love how you send me things like that. Do you have like three colors that are just standing out for you right now? It always seems to go back to blue. I'll put all the paints on my palette. And what I find that I go right back to is blue, blue, and more blue. There's so much to play with within the blues. Like it or not, that's just what I'm drawn to. I will see, I've actually started a Pinterest folder that's private. That's just when I see another artist using different colors, I screenshot it and I put it in that folder because I, I do want to branch out. Definitely do. So the things that I keep seeing in that folder are like lavenders and pinks and rose colors. And I want to get more of that. I want to start working on more of that. And one thing we've talked about is the balance between our style or a repeat pattern or subject matter that keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And mm -hmm. lately I've been thinking, well, I'm doing, I, I wonder if I keep doing some of the same things and then also the wanting to branch out. Do you feel like you wait till it runs its course or do you intentionally be like, okay, I've done enough with this palette or with this subject. I'm going to just make myself try something different. Or do you feel like you're just going to let yourself be in love with it until one day you're on to the next. Yeah. I don't think I have the skill level to force myself into doing something that's not feeling right in my body. So even if I do try to branch out, I usually find myself sneaking back into the you know, comfort zone. So, yeah, I mean, I would like, I would like to say, okay, now let's do this and nail it. But so far, no, I've got a lot of canvas that are stacked up where I've tried that, but they're not, they never get finished. Well, that's what I wonder is that in a way, once we change direction, we probably won't nail it for the first five or so, because we're changing mm -hmm. a direction. Do, is it, is it just not the, the angle to go, or is it, we needed to get past about five or so to get to the other side and. It could be. And I always save them because you know, I have been able to pull old works out and turn it into something I really like. So I save them and um, I'm open to making those work. Um, I do have a couple that I've done in like neon pinks and oranges and greens that I really, really like. And um, I was telling you that I visited some galleries in Atlanta and saw a lot of those colors there. And so that was kind of exciting. Like, oh, I'm kind of doing something cool and I didn't know. And so that made me excited about exploring that more. And I definitely, definitely want to do that. There are a couple of books that you've been mentioning to me mm -hmm. lately. Would you mind talking about the one re more recently? A little yeah, bit? I wish I had it here to show you. Um, it's called Art Slash Work and it's overwhelming. I'm about halfway through. It's written as though the only person it's speaking to is someone with an MFA that wants a place in art history and wants to be in galleries and highly prized. So it's, it's great about teaching me the business side of art, about gallery culture, expectations as far as collectors and gallerists, 
what they want your um, CV to look like, resume, website. And it, it's made me realize that congratulations if you make it, if you're that person that that book is talking to. Um, it made me realize I don't want that. I want, I want to have something that's soothing, that, that I love doing, that people love having. I don't want it to be a stressor. I want it to be a source of relaxation and pleasure. If, if some gallery wanted to take me and I had a little bit of fun with them and a lucrative side hustle, that would be awesome. But I don't foresee myself being the person with the warehouse studio and the MFA on the wall. A quote that you sent was about certain towns that are yeah. kind of exciting for art in the U.S. today. And some of mm -hmm. it having to do with the affordability of those cities and the yeah. squashed in terms of rent and that kind of thing, which up and coming artists need and established artists. Right. It's a different kind of work, but that we also have this option to like create our own art scene. And I think that's a really cool thing to think about. Mm -hmm. You're in Western North Carolina. We are in a community of craftspeople and makers, and there are a lot of people around us really doing all that. Yeah. Have you had some thoughts about how one goes about creating an art scene? Is it having friends and conversations and connecting like we do mm -hmm. and that expanding out into, you know, the greater community? Mm -hmm. What thoughts do you have about that? I've thought a lot about that. You know, we just, I can't remember the exact name of the grant, but we just got for Murphy, the small town grant. And basically it's, it's grant money and planning toward revitalization of a, of a downtown area. This is a good time for that transition to happen. Um, I don't know. I don't know which way it'll go, but we're, we're definitely on the precipice of change. And, you know, I have a building down there that's empty that would be an amazing gallery. Um, the community is here because of the folk school. I mean, we definitely have a community of artists that could create that art scene. And then I thought a lot about John Cram. You know, look at what he did to create Asheville and make that known as, as an art scene. And so it is possible. I don't know if, if I can shoulder the weight of that. I'd like to see that happen. I really, really would. So definitely the possibility is there. I don't know. I don't know much more than that. I've been thinking a lot about it. And I do know that there will be some money coming up for beautification that can be used toward the actual structure of a building. So I am already working on some stuff around that. So maybe it'll happen. Yeah, it's so it's really fun to think about. In Asheville, we both lived there before it was the rockin' scene that it is now. And mm -hmm. it feels like one of the first steps that was taken for that to happen. Well, number one, there were already artist folks being drawn to that area. Mm -hmm. And then number two, those buildings in the River Arts District were made into studios. And that mm -hmm. was like step one, right? Then it was multiple studios. So people had studios next to each other. So it's sort right. of, I'm curious about that, like the cross-pollination or it's also in community. I mean, we're in community and sharing and talking and trading and supporting and, you mm -hmm. know, uh, but for example, we're interested, you and I, in having a show. 
well, where could that be? There are very few possibilities. If somebody right. wanted a studio downtown, they'd have to get kind of creative, but it's possible. But as the town becomes more hip, it's harder to afford. And, and I, I love the idea of having a space outside of the home. I mean, you and I both have to be close to home right now because we have young children. But um, the idea of having a designated space where you can walk away from the responsibilities of home and children is, is very appealing. Um, having a space that can accommodate something large, that canvas right now is about the largest thing I can accommodate in here. The easel is bumping into my ceiling. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of excitement when I think about you know, the potential for a bigger, downtown space. Absolutely. And the idea of having people sharing that space with me or neighbors in the adjoining spaces that are also doing the same thing, that would feel really good. Bigger space, bigger ideas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is there a maker or musician, creative liver, gardener, writer, podcaster that you are really digging right now that you think we should all check out? Mm -hmm. um, yes. My favorite Instagram artist, her name is Rose Framuth Frazier, and she's at F-R-E-Y-M-U-T-H-F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. -E she does these surrealist portraits that I just can't get enough of. Even when she doesn't release new stuff, I go back and look. Her colors are amazing. It just, I love, I love what she's doing so much. So definitely check her out. Author, I just had to pull myself out of Naples, Elena Ferranti. Um, she's an Italian writer. Her books are translated into English. She's probably the best writer ever. And so she writes about 1950s up through 1980s um, women in Naples, Italy. Just incredible. I really, really had to like just remove myself. So she's amazing. And then honestly, I love podcasts. I love all kinds of podcasts, but my favorite is My Favorite Murder. It's wildly popular. I'm sure everybody's heard about it. The girls are, it's like hanging out with friends. They have filthy mouths. They make me laugh so hard. Um, I feel like I know them. And it's just one of those things that I can put on when everything's way too serious just stick my headphones in, listen to that for a little while. My entire, my internal dialogue becomes totally filthy. <laughs> <laughs> I try to filter what comes out, but it really does help me. Um, maybe it's dopamine. You know, I laugh so hard at them that I, I, when it's over, I'm in a better mood. So that's a really good one. It's hard to laugh sometimes when you feel slammed and that's great. Mm -hmm. That another version of, you know, filling up your inspiration cup. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any thoughts or any other thing that you want to say about creativity in general and mixing it in with daily life? I do. Um, so what I do for my day job right now is I teach cosmetology and it's, it's tricky because as much as I love it, I also feel obstinate. Like I feel like the real world's trying to get too much of me. And so 
some days some days are busy you know you get up at six you hit the ground running you do the get the kid to school get the meals packed you know work then you rush out of work to get the kid again and do the meals again and so i have had to for my own sanity find ways to put creativity into my work so if i have a curriculum that's studying the layers of the skin rather than do a presentation that's a cross-section of a drawing of a layer of skin i make the students do something um, okay, bring something from home that represents each layer. And so they bring in really inspiring things like a terrarium with all these beautiful layers and then a plant growing out that represents, you know, a hair coming out of the follicle. And so we all take part in that. Part of it's selfish. I do it for me because I need a break from that mundane approach to the curriculum. Um, but they also enjoy it too. And it fits into what I try to push every day, which is think like a designer. So they might say, well, teach me layers, teach me how to cut layers. And I'm like, well, no, I want you to find inspiration for that. Where else do you see that texture happening? And so, you know, I hope they get something out of it. I do it like a step for me because it takes me out of the mundane aspects of the job and into more of a creative process. And then sometimes, you know, the only thing I can find to do that day is to write a response to an email that's entertaining to me. An example of that was we had some laptop computers go missing and I was asked by about three different people to repeat the story of, as to how they went missing. And then I was asked to put that in writing so that it would go on record. And so I wrote it up like a British procedural <laughs> <laughs> because I just felt like you can't you can't make me do this again this i have to be getting something out of this at this point and so you know be a little obstinate figure out how to make it slide into your day even if your day looks completely normal and businessy just just make it happen get it in there yeah and even that is a creative act in itself and exactly no exactly what. yeah how do people find out more about your artwork and about you. Okay. I have a website. I'm working on it myself and it's a work in progress, but I decided, and I think it was you that told me, just get it out there. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just get it out there. So I do have a website. It's I love misty.com. Misty with a Y. Um, so my works are on there as things are being photographed in a professional way, they're continuing to be uploaded on there. So there's a contact page on there. There's a gallery page. It's, it's pretty simple, but it tells you what you need to know. And then I'm also on Instagram as Misty Kalashek. And maybe you can put the spelling on there. So I don't spell that all out. Yeah. I'll put it in the lovely show notes as they okay. say in every okay. podcast. <laughs> well, I just, I love talking to you and I know we'll just keep talking for years and I appreciate you being here. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. So, so much. We'll make our art scene here together in good old Murphy, North Carolina. Yeah. We'll get those kids raised. We're yeah. going to do some stuff. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you would like to be in touch or have someone you would love to hear interviewed, email me at afainhouse at gmail.com. I also hope that you're inspired to subscribe to this podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. 
If you would like to watch these interviews in video form and are curious about the happenings of my little business called Fane House, where I paint and make art prints and gift cards for my watercolor originals, I'd love for you to sign up for my email list. When you do, you'll get a coupon for 10% off a one-time purchase in my Etsy shop and first dibs on my annual limited edition calendar printing. You'll also be granted access to our free private Facebook group, which is the one spot you can watch these interviews. If that all sounds fun to you, go to your web browser and type bit.ly backslash Fainhouse to sign up. That's with a capital F and a capital H in Fainhouse. This is not a weekly newsletter, but rather a list of folks who are interested in hearing from me time to time. I'm Annie Fain Barillon. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll leave you with a quote for the day. The aim of art is not to represent the outward appearance of things, but rather their inward significance. Aristotle. <laughs>